We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, I'm joined by a host of the Matt Walsh Show, which is part of the Daily Wire. Matt Walsh, he's also the author of the new book, Johnny the Walrus. Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. So tell us about Johnny the Walrus. Um, I've read it. Uh, it was it wasn't a difficult read. It was a funny read. It wasn't a tough one. Uh, but but tell us about the book and why you decided to write it. Yeah, I mean, it's not the kind of book where you have to, like, you know, dog here a page and come back to it. You could, you could probably get through it in one sitting. Um, so the book is, a, is a, yeah, it's called Johnny the Walrus. And it's about a, a young boy, an imaginative child, as all children are, who likes to pretend to be different things. He plays games. And, um, you know, one day he decides that uh, he's going to pretend to be a walrus and he's got uh, wood spoons in his mouth like tusks and he's wearing socks on his uh, on his hands like fins. And he and he goes into the kitchen and he says, look, mommy, I'm a walrus. And, you know, the mom responds initially as any sane parent would and says, oh, that's a fun, silly game. But then she goes online and she starts talking to people and she discovers that um, in this day and age, in this progressive day and age, if your child identifies as something, then you have to take that self-identification seriously. So she, she then endeavors through much of the uh, rest of the, of the lengthy tale to uh, raise her child as a walrus. But she discovers that, uh, you know, she thought that, that, this would, uh, that this would make him happy, but she realizes, she starts to see that some, something's wrong. You know, this isn't uh, trying to raise my boy as a walrus, but uh, he, do, he still does not quite seem satisfied in his new walrus skin. And then I don't want to give away any spoilers, but at the end she kind of has a, a, a wake-up call and she realizes that, uh, oh, well, just because your child is identifying as something, just because your child is pretending to be something, doesn't mean he actually is that thing. And uh, it's, I think the comparisons I'm making here are not very subtle, and they're made even less subtle by a lot of the illustrations in the book, but it's, I think it's pretty obvious that we're drawing a connection here between this and, um, you know, and the gender theories that are foist on our kids from a young age. And, and I do think that it is, in fact, exactly the same kind of thing. Um, a boy who... A four-year-old boy, the age of Johnny the walrus, who says, hey, mommy, I'm a girl. That's exactly the same as a boy saying, I'm a walrus or I'm Batman or, you know, I'm a dog or, or whatever. <laughs> um, well, OK, so is, in that sense, is this a book kind of for parents? Um, yeah, I think it was. Well, it's for both. So that's what we really wanted to do with this book. Um, and, uh, and and that's when I, when I spent when I spent months and months writing this this uh, my magnum opus. That's what that my my goal was for it to be a book that children can engage with on one level and they'll find it really funny and silly. But then parents will engage with it on another level and they'll actually understand, you know, the the commentary on the broader culture and on gender and everything. Because in the book, I never come out and say I don't use a word like transgender in the book itself. Because part of the point here is that um, I don't think kids should be exposed to these kinds of ideas at such a young age. Um, but my hope is, I think for the most part, kids will just think it's funny, and that's great. But uh, maybe a, a child will read this book, and he'll understand that, oh, okay, well, when, when someone identifies as a certain thing, and they're just pretending. And then maybe down the line, when he is exposed to some of these gender ideas, uh, perhaps he'll draw those connections and, and, and start to understand that it's the same sort of thing as just pretending to be an animal. So it's kind of maybe inoculating them against this madness when it comes for them later on in life. 
was it difficult to have something operate on those two levels? On the one hand, litigating what has become, for some reason, a controversial and complicated question for parents. And then on the other hand, something that is sort of eventually obvious to children. Um, was it difficult to sort of operate on those levels when you were writing this? Yeah, I think it's a, it, it, it is a little bit of a tough balance, especially with an issue like this. And uh, so it did, it did actually, it didn't exactly take me months, but it did take a couple of passes to kind of um, strike the right balance where it's not, I, I think, you know, initially kind of what I came up with was, was really totally for adults in that kids wouldn't understand what was going on at all. And then uh, kind of whittled it down from there and uh, settled on what we have now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how much have you re- like, have you really read a lot of what the left does with their children's books, um, which I guess I shouldn't even say the left. It's just really the the corporate establishment, because a lot of these books, they don't even see as being political or leftist. Um, and are you sort of trying to invert that formula or I mean, I guess that, that is sort of what it seems like inverting the formula, having sort of subtle um, messaging that I mean, it, it shouldn't be political, but I guess it is um, into the narrative. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, I think I have some of those books in my studio. I thought I did. Well, I don't have any more. But uh, yeah, I've read, I've, I've read quite a few of those, of the left-wing brainwashing books. And um, I was, I think, pretty obviously using some of that as a model here um, because this is a response to that. And so I, I guess I'll be accused, some people will accuse me of, uh, well, you know, you don't want the left to brainwash kids. And so now aren't you trying to brainwash the kids yourself? Well, no, it's more, this is more an attempt. This is, this is uh, blocking the brainwashing that kids, that, that kids endure from the left. Because, you know, the idea that um, boys are boys and girls are girls and that just because you imagine you are something doesn't mean you are that thing. That's, I can't, that's just reality. That's truth. You can't, you can't brainwash someone into reality. Uh, so I don't think it's exactly the same. Right. And it's also not political. Their attempts to sort of change the norm is political, but the norm itself is not political. It's, it's something as simple as biology. Um, right, I want to exactly. ask. And that's why, and they, uh, sorry to cut you off, but they, this is exactly what they do where they try to, they have a political and ideological idea. And um, it's a radical idea that subverts w- what is normal and, and obvious. But then all of, all of a sudden, if you disagree with that idea, now you are taking a political and ideological stance yourself. It's kind of like what they do where, where they say, oh, well, if you're, if you're a man who just identifies as a man, as you are, then now you're cisgender. So mm-hmm. that is, that's, that's just another category, uh, just like being trans. You're, you're, you are part of now, part of this like spectrum that we've invented, and, um, and I, I reject that entirely. Right. Or like you're proclaiming uh, the the importance of biological reality. Therefore, you're the culture warrior, uh, even though you're doing it in the face of of all of our efforts to obviously change that. Is there a book or do you think I mean, I'm not a parent, so this is it's sort of different for me. But these books, how powerful do you think they are? One of the things that came out, I know you're a a former Virginia resident. One of the things that came out of that election is uh, all of the, the books that were in libraries that I think parents were surprised to find there um how successful do you think those books are at the sort of brainwashing or the indoctrination are they just sort of funny things that collect dust in in libraries or is there a really very very real effect being had i think they're effective um as when you look at it from the broader context of everything else that they're doing Uh, I, i think that if we lived in a normal insane culture um and the only place where kids encountered these ideas were some of these weird kids books then they would have very little effect at all. 
because everywhere else they go in society, they would encounter reality. And, um, and that would make those kids' books seem to be what they are, which is just this radical, weird kind of thing. Uh, but, as, but considering they're getting this message, they're getting it from the kids' books, and then they go to school and it's reinforced there, and they, uh, you know, they, they turn on the TV and it's reinforced by everything they see on TV, right down to the advertisements. So it's, the ideas are reinforced everywhere else they go. And so I think that's what makes it especially um, effective, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I also wanted to ask you, there are, because it's funny, you're using the animal identification as a parallel uh, to gender, but there are actually case studies. There's like a high school in Kentucky. I have an article from Not the Bee up right now in August where students are starting to identify as first. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's funny, but it's funny and terrifying, but also interesting because everybody has their own individual truth and identification is, you know, in accordance with your truth. Um, it, to some extent, the walrus thing might actually be very real. <laughs> this is, could you not foresee in some school if a child said they identify walrus, them letting them identify as a walrus? Yeah, I think we're, I mean, that's why you got that from not the bee, because it's, this is what makes it so hard to actually do parody or satire in our culture, because, you know, you with, with parody, you're always taking some idea and you're taking it one step farther than just to, to point out the absurdities. But uh, it's, the left has already taken everything to its to its farthest possible extreme, so it's hard to, to do that. Um, yeah, I think, um, look, yeah, they're already in, in among uh, Gen Z, um, things like neo pronouns, people identifying as not just animals, but you know weather, weather f- phenomena and clouds and mythical creatures. I mean, that stuff already exists. We could say it's relatively fringe, and maybe it is. But once you break down, as you point out, once you break down the the walls of objective reality, then it's not even that we're on a slippery slope. It's just we're in a total freefall environment, and uh, and anything goes. So yeah. Yeah, I want to ask you more about that because, and you talk about this issue a lot, and you talk about it very cogently, um, but that that does seem to be at the core of a lot of this. Is that also something that's in messaging in children's books? I mean, I've taken a look at a, a couple of them, but it does seem to be the the my truth, the breaking down the walls of objective reality. It does seem to be a, a big part of the sort of subtle um, messaging campaign aimed at younger people uh, who, by the way, struggle with levels of anxiety and depression that we haven't seen before. Um, is that really what this is all sort of rooted in at the end of the day? I think so. That's why I talk about, I, I think there's a war on reality happening in our culture, and I don't think that's hyperbolic. I think that's actually what is what is happening. I think that's ultimately the goal is to, uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, I say the left, but whatever, what it woke, the church of woke, whatever phrase you want to use, for this, for the people who represent this idea, um, what is happening is unmistakable. That they're trying to break down reality itself to build their own sort of alternate universe, and uh, that's where. But if, but it does have to be subtle there, and that's where. Anytime you hear something like "live your truth, speak your truth," you know, where where you own the truth, it's your own version. It's just as valid as anybody else's, even if it contradicts uh, everybody else's. Even if it contradicts physical reality, it's still true in some deeper sense that's always vague and never really outlined. Um, and that's why I think you talk to anyone who identifies on the left side of the spectrum, almost any of them, and they'll look you in the eyes and they'll say, there, there is no truth. There is no objective reality. If you use a word like truth around them, they'll say something like, well, whose truth are we talking about? <laughs> right. um, and I think that that kind of seeps in subtly over time. You, you can't really go up to a kid 
and throw all this on them all at once and say there is no truth, nothing is real. Because if you say that, it's bewildering and crazy and it's scary, um, as it should be. So instead, they just kind of, yeah, little by little, they, they send this message that, uh, hey, you can, you can make your own truth. Yeah, and I just sort of previewed this line of questioning, but that's where uh, it gets really, I think, worrisome is, and I wonder if you share this concern, that with Gen Z and the students that are just, the kids that are just below the ages of, of Gen Z, is there a point of no return that we've already hit? Um, or is there still sort of, I don't know, I look at, you know, the success of Jordan Peterson or the Daily Wire and say, you know, people really are yearning for some different messaging, um, especially young men. But it is sort of troublesome to think, you know, if, if you've been sort of brought up, if, if you've been floating in this like intellectual idea, if it's if it's been passed on to you through every institution for your entire life, um, the, the sort of deprogramming is going to be almost impossible. Yeah, I. Uh... I struggle with feeling that way sometimes, but then if I really accepted the idea that we're, we're past the point of no return, there's no hope, then what's the point of uh, anything that any of us are doing? So I, I can't accept that, and I, I don't think it's, it's actually true. I, I think it's more to say that we're, in a, we're locked in a generational struggle. Um, so if the question is, can things be turned around by next year um, or by the next election or whatever, then, uh, then yeah, that's not going to happen. There's no hope of that. But then again, how did we get to this point? We got to this point over the course of, of many generations. So it's going to take uh, generations to reverse the course. And, you know, you and I are not going to be alive to see really the fruits of our labor. We have to accept that um, and start thinking about, like I said, think about it generationally, think about our own kids. How can we rescue our own kids from this madness and then, uh, and then build out from there. One of the interesting plot points in the book is the mom, the way that you had the mom sort of thinking about caving here was that she saw mean things on her phone. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because it wasn't as though she had some sort of real intellectual struggle of herself. It was entirely the sort of external pressures that were shifting her in one direction over the other. Can you talk about that decision? Um, and is that sort of getting into the, the cancel culture mentalities, uh, power and influence? over where this conversation has gone. Yeah, well, that's, that's one thing that I wanted to put in the book. Um, it, 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 you know, really, the kind of an irony in that the book is Johnny the Walrus. Well, there's a couple of ironies, Johnny the Walrus, but it's not really about a walrus. And also, the book isn't really even about Johnny the boy. It's actually, a, it's really the story's about the mom. Uh, because this is, the, at the end of the day, like, they're, kids, kids don't, don't actually choose this. Kids are just kids, and they're, and they're skipping merrily through, you know, the daffodils and the fields and everything. And they're doing their thing and they're climbing trees and just living their lives. Um, it's parents and adults who foist all this onto kids. And um, I think there are a few different ways that parents will do that to very young kids. I think and I also think you have to there's two different categories, really. Like there's young kids then there's adolescents. And I think there are a lot of adolescents, especially girls, where it's the most common. Um, and Abigail Schreier with her books done a great job of, of uh, documenting this. But. Among adolescents, you have, in many cases, the girls, they pick up this stuff in school or wherever they pick it up online, and, and uh, the parents do not encourage it at all, and in fact, do everything they can to discourage it, but uh, they are just powerless, and that's a terrible thing, and I feel really bad for those parents and those kids. With young kids, it's a different deal. Um, I think that, you know, if you have a four-year-old identifying as, quote-unquote, trans, that the parents have to be actively involved in that, or it's not going to happen. 
And so I think you have some parents who really make the decision to impose this on their kids because it's trendy and they treat their kid like some kind of trophy to show off. That's not the, that's not the mom in this book. The mom in this book is this other category where it kind of floating on the tide of the culture, not thinking much about things, uh, but w- wanting to fit in, de- desperately afraid of being accused of bigotry, seeing that as like the worst possible thing anyone can be. And then um, their kid says something and they just basically well-meaning, but um, they go looking for advice in the wrong places and then they end up falling down this, this rabbit hole and dragging their kid along with them. So the the way she sort of brought back to reality um, without any spoilers, I guess, <laughs> the way she, she sort of uh, brought back to reality is very bluntly. Um, and someone sort of gives her permission to just obviously embrace logic and reality. Um, can you talk to us about that choice? And is that, do you think the most, is that what it takes to shake people out of this, just to hear it from somebody? Is that, or is that the most powerful way to shake somebody out of it, just to hear it from somebody who tells them and almost gives them permission um, and says, you know, you're not a bigot. This is exactly how things are, um, but says it sort of, you know, bluntly and, and almost harshly. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think we're way past the point. Um, there may have been a point in our culture where we could have combated some of this stuff in a, in a gentle kind of way. But um, we're, if, that, if that ever would have worked, we're way past that now. And um, sometimes in order to get above the din of all the noise and everything and all the competing noise, you have to shout a little bit and be firm. And, you know, there's, there's not any shouting in the book, but you have to be more firm and harsh and blunt. Um, and there's no, there's just not time to try to be diplomatic about it, especially with something as basic as this, like that's a boy, that's a girl period. That's what it is. And you have to be firm about it. I think that's what people need. And I think you're also right that um, people are looking for permission to believe what they inherently know. People are looking for permission to just to, to exercise their own common sense. And sometimes it can be kind of, um, it, it can be bewildering when you look around the culture and it just seems like everyone has accepted this idea that to you seems kind of crazy, but when everyone is saying it, it seems like it's everywhere. Maybe after a while you start to think, well, no, maybe I'm the crazy one. Then you start Mm -hmm. to accept it. And that's why you need someone to give you permission and to validate. I mean, we hear so much about validation. We have to validate people. I think we have to validate people in their common sense. Uh, I think people really need that. Yeah. Do you, were you worried about sort of being persuasive in the book and like actually this this being something that people can really give to their friends and pass around? um, And in a sense is like give helps parents sort of feel like they do have permission to embrace what they inherently believe, as you say, Um, was was that kind of, was that part of the aim um, to actually be persuasive and to move people's hearts and minds? um, Or was it, were you more for, focused on making the comparison or were you maybe trying to do both? I think it's a, you know, I, I guess I can't be too ambitious with what I, what I could possibly pull off with a, uh, you know, 400 word board <laughs> book for preschoolers. But, um, and like I said before, you know, with any, whether it's my book or one of the crazy leftist books, it's gotta be part it can, it, on its own. It, that's all it is. It's not going to do much. It's gotta be part of, um, so I, I know for me, it's like I, I, I have this message, but I also need some backup in the culture, which I have. I mean, we have it from the Federalist. I, have it the, I work for the Daily Wire. Um, and so, you know, we're all, we're all kind of working on this in our own way in different ways. And so this is part of that effort. And, I, you know, I hope it's per- persuasive. I also want it to be, you know, just funny and entertaining. I want it to be fu- funny for kids and they can appreciate it, at least on that level. And, uh, and at the end of the day, ma- make the point for adults. Um, I hope it's persuasive, but uh, we'll see. 
Did you see in the uh, Virginia results, and you did, you know, spend time there actually um, in the frenzy, uh, the sort of frenzy time before the election. Did you see in, in what happened there, um, as a lot of people did, this heartening sign that parents, not just Republicans, not just conservatives, not just people on the right, but sort of parents in general are waking up and they are getting sort of they are feeling more emboldened to embrace what's what's obvious reality. Do you think that was reading too far into the situation or do you think there was uh, something really there um, in Glenn Youngkin's win? I hope so. I think it's probably too early to say um we know that one of the problems we have, not just on the right, but in our culture in general, is that we all have the memories of fruit flies, and <laughs> we tend to get distracted by the next shiny object. So if uh, if a year from now we're looking back and all saying, oh, remember that time when we were all invested in the school board meetings? That was fun, you know, uh, all, all those all those many months ago. If we're saying that, then then I think it, that'll mean that it really amounted to nothing. Um, we have to continue to put the pressure on. This has to be this really has to be like a, a lifestyle now where we're holding public schools accountable, going to the school board meetings, even if there's not a big crowd, even if there's not a rally every time, it's not a big dramatic thing, but you're, like, you're going, you're staying invested. Um, and I, ho- I hope that's what we do, but uh, I guess time will tell. Why were you so like active in this particular uh, storyline? Like, wh- what was it about this that you thought was like so important? You wanted to get involved and to really make a big point of it. Like, what in the the Virginia case study was um, you know was animating for you? I think um, for me it was, and I know a lot of people were very invested and are invested in the school board issue because of critical race theory, and uh, I think that's. Great. I mean, not critical race theory isn't great, but it's great to be invested in getting rid of critical race theory in the school system. Um, so I agree with that. But but for me, I think that gender theory, which is you know what the book's all about, gender theory is the much bigger threat. Um, they're both bad. Gender theory is worse. Um, it's more pervasive. It's more insidious. It is. Uh, it it you know it, it gets at kids at, at, at such a basic level where it's d- basically depriving them of identity of, of reality. Um, and so that's always been where my focus is. And when I, when I looked at Loudoun County, you know, the policy they put in place, their gender, you know, their, their pro transgender policy in in many ways, similar to what we've seen across the country, but, um, also much more extreme, you know, know, in that, in that, in Loudoun County, their policy says that, for example, if you're a teacher, you, you know, potentially upon penalty of, of being fired, you have to use the preferred pronouns of your students. And if their, if their preferred pronoun changes by the week, as it often does for, for kids who go through this phase, um, which unfortunately ends up not being a phase, but, but a lifestyle choice in the end. But if it changes by the week, then you got to stay up, up to date. And um, it's, just, it's just that kind of thing. And, and in fact, in Loudoun County, the thing that first put Loudoun County on my radar is that a teacher spoke out against this policy at a school board meeting and they, they fired him for it, for speaking at the school board meeting. Now, he took it to court, and um, he, was, he was victorious there, as he should be. But, I mean, just think about that. In, in Loudoun County, the, way, the policy that they want to have in place is that you can't, even, you can't even criticize the policy at a school board meeting without getting fired. Mm. 
did you also get the sense i mean i think you, you were at a rally did, did you get the sense that there are uh people that aren't just you know your typical movement conservatives or republican activists that were um voting maybe for glenn youngkin when they haven't voted for republican in a while or definitely didn't vote for trump whatever the the case may be did you get the sense that there was a coalition that that wasn't really just on the right when it came to this issue of, of parents and schools i think so i talked to quite a few few people there. And uh, I, I talked to many people myself who said that they're not um, either not Republican or they sort of are, but they don't, you know, they're not very political. Um, so I, I think there is, I mean, generally speaking, I think if you were to do a survey, you would find that the majority of people who are part of this movement with the school boards in Loudoun County and across the country probably identify as conservative, but um, it's probably not as big of a majority as you might think. I think that this is something because people, look, People, people love their kids and they want to protect their kids. And no matter, no matter what side of the aisle you fall on, uh, when you feel like your kids are being threatened and when you're, when you're being told that you shouldn't have a say in your child's education, when, 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 you're, when, when someone else who's not, who's not you says that you need to butt out when it comes to what your kid is doing, I think that rubs almost anybody the wrong way if you're a parent. And um, so it did become a more bipartisan movement than I think people realize yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to sort of end by asking you um, a couple questions about your style, which I think is actually really helpful. And there was a time when people, uh, especially on the right, you're maybe one of the best examples of a conservative thinker who establishment Republicans would just cringe at and say, you are lo- we are bleeding voters because, you know, you're losing us all of these people. You're speaking so bluntly and you're embracing all of this sort of traditionalism. But actually, when I have friends um, or relatives or people who are thinking about cohabitating. I send them a very, very harsh article you wrote about the dangers of premarital cohabitation. And I found, again, that to be extremely persuasive because there's a lack of, I think, truth and objectivity that irks people, even if they can't put it into words. And when somebody comes in and does explain things bluntly, it does sort of make them feel like they're latching onto something that is real um, because if you have confidence in your beliefs and you speak with the authority of truth, that's persuasive. Um, and I guess I'm just curious as to how you've never changed. I mean, even when before the sort of Trump Trumpian culture war era, um, you, you're just still the same person. Have you noticed a shift on the right? Um, and has it been difficult to sort of stay the course on that? Uh it hasn't been difficult for me personally, not because I have any great courage, but just because I'm a I'm I'm a stubborn bastard. So it's just kind of, it's just how I am, uh, which doesn't come in handy in many aspects of life. But maybe with this, it does at least. I, I have noticed a shift. I think that, and I, I think some of it is um, is, is exhaustion and desperation, where people are part in the French, but they're exhausted by all the bullshit. And it's, we're, we're a critical mass with it, where people I encounter this everywhere they go, where just, they're, they're expected to believe things that are tr- plainly false. And they're you know accused of being a racist for having the most m- normal opinions about things. And I think people are uh, really sick and tired of it and fed up with it. And uh, they're desperate for common sense. And um, you know, this is something for as long as I've been doing this, when I'm out in public, or I'm speaking somewhere or whatever, or I check my you know, DMs. And of course, there's a lot of people wishing that I'll get cancer and die and that sort of thing. But also a lot of people saying, hey, I, I totally agree with everything that you say. I say the same thing myself. You sound just like me. I'm glad that someone is saying it. 
So I think that's that's what it is. I mean, I, I appreciate that you called me a thinker. Uh, I actually don't think that I that I <laughs> I wouldn't call myself that. I'm not um, sort of an intellectual. I didn't even go to college. Okay, um, I think I'm really a normal person with some basic common sense, the same common sense that almost that most people have, and uh, maybe that's worked to my benefit because I'm I'm a normal person saying really normal things. If we if we lived in a in a society that was not totally insane. I wouldn't have a job. There'd be nowhere for me to go because I don't think I have any really deep insights. All I have is just common sense. But fortunately, because we've gone insane, there's a, actually a market for basic common sense. And so that's where I fit in. <laughs> um, well, yeah. And the issue of cohabitation is kind of an interesting uh, example because it's one of those like downstream cultural issues that does actually really affect the way people live their lives and the way we're sort of ordered as a society. And I, I'm curious as to what your take is on the importance of issues exactly like that one, you know, people delaying marriage, people moving in together. Um, do you think the right needs to kind of talk about those lifestyle issues more um, and and have the the courage to sort of talk about them and talk about them in very clear, um, authoritative moral terms. Um, are those really having a bigger effect than than people realize? Uh, yeah, I think so. And that's that's another shift that I think I've noticed is that people are more willing, maybe not with cohabitation specifically. That's that's still going to be a tough one because you know, no matter where people fall in the political spectrum, this is something that. Lots of people do, and you know they, they don't want to feel like they are being personally criticized. Um, but even so, when it comes to basic lifestyle things, uh, moral questions about how we live our life, it seems like people are more open to actually talking about those those types of issues now. Um, at, at least I at least I hope they are, because you know this is another area where the left has made huge inroads when they've been able to. You know, they have a message. They don't, they don't just have a political message or a message about economics and taxes and everything they they seem to spend not a whole lot of time on those kinds of issues like their 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 message is like this is how you should live your life these are the priorities you should have in your day-to-day life this is what you should care about most deeply and um they've been hammering on that message for decades and doing it for a long time totally unopposed because the right was too afraid to talk about that stuff um and i think that maybe that's changing now i hope it is yeah, it reminds me of the kind of will and grace obvious example or the Murphy Brown example that people, um, you know, the, the single mother, the, the championing to, to sound like Dan Quayle, the championing of uh, single motherhood. And uh, you can look at will and grace and all that. And I guess my last question for you is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Do you think that there's a uh, that there's something happening on the right where because of the transgender extremism, um, there's going to be a reopening of the conversation about marriage and about sexuality, um, because I've seen that sort of cropping up more and more. And I personally think that's great. Um, but do you foresee that happening at all? It, it would be sort of unthinkable just a couple of years ago. Um, and the Republican Party itself now is is obviously very pro-gay. But do you think conservatives are, are really going to start feeling more comfortable criticizing um, our culture's, uh, you know, I guess, embrace of some harmful ideology just when it comes to sexuality? Uh, I, I think eventually. I mean, this is this is not a settled, this is not a, this is not really a settled issue. This is, we go back to, you know, uh, short term versus long term. I don't think, I think in the short term, it's going to be how it is right now. But um, long term, it's not, you know, this, this is not, what, what has been decided in our culture about marriage, for example, that's not, that's not the last word on the subject that's ever going to be spoken. Um, and the other thing is that 
the uh, you know, we talk about LGBT, and I know that the that there's the whole alphabet is attached after that, but really it's LGBT, right? And the problem maybe on for for gay activists, the gay lobby, is that the T have have long since sort of affixed themselves to this, um, and now it's it really should be T G L B or whatever because they they have <laughs> they've become the preeminent, the the you know the, the top of the victim hierarchy. Um, and so I think the more that people start to ask questions about the T part of this, and like, is this actually true, trans ideology, that when, when they start to criticize that and start to think critically about it, uh, because T has lumped itself in with the other initials, then they're going to start asking questions about some of those other issues as well. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Well, the book is Johnny the Walrus. It is out in time for Christmas, would make a great gift. And you've been listening to Matt Walsh, host of the Matt Walsh Show on The Daily Wire and the author, of course, of Johnny the Walrus. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. This has been another edition of Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. We will be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. Darling, you got me right.